electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Overtime. I'm Mike Santoli in for Scott Wapner. You just heard the bells, but we are just getting started. And we begin with our talk of the tape. A big call from, uh, for your money from Guggenheim's Scott Miner. Just moments ago, he released a new note to investors saying the Fed could be forced to stop tightening as soon as early November. Scott joins us now in an Overtime exclusive by phone. Scott, uh, as I, as I speak to you over the din being made by the uh, the mortgage REIT that's closing uh, the, the, the bell, uh, closing the session today, uh, Scott, very interesting note. Uh, your, your big case here seems to be that the Fed is at risk of over-tightening or at least that something in the global markets might break along the way uh, and, and essentially force the Fed's hand uh, and that investors should be prepared for this type of scenario. Uh, why do you see that playing out here? Well, you know, Mike, this has been my view uh, ever since I went to the Central Bank Conference at the Hoover Institution earlier in the year, and I had a chance to talk with various Fed presidents and other officials, and it was clear to me that uh, the comment I walked out with and I took back to my traders was the Fed will push this until something breaks. And so, um, you know, it's very clear as as things have gone on over the the past few weeks, especially in the last two weeks, that uh, we are seeing cracks all over the place. Of course, probably one of the biggest was the incident we had in the U.K., uh, where, you know, the Bank of England had to step into uh, the gilt market to prop up gilt uh, to offset the risk of, of what could have become a global financial downward spiral. And, uh, you know, there are other things uh, out there that have been uh, challenging. We know that uh, mortgage REITs have been in the mode of having to be forced liquidators of mortgages just at the same time that the Federal Reserve is allowing their mortgage portfolio to run off. And then, of course, um, you know, we have this uh, synchronized uh, tightening by all the central banks or the major central banks around the world, uh, you know, including the um, the bank, uh, or sorry, the Bank of Japan and the uh, ECB. So, global liquidity is receding. It's receding rapidly. I, I pointed out before that for the first time in history since the Great Depression, uh, M2, the broad definition of money, is actually contracting, and uh, uh, the pace at which uh, the Fed and other central banks were removing accommodation uh, is beginning to spill over into the financial markets, and that's the place that when you hear Fed policymakers talk, all they talk about is inflation. They're not focused on uh, financial conditions. I'm not saying that they wouldn't react to them. Matter of fact, what I would say is they're going to be likely to have to react to them because I think the market is going to force a pivot on them, and I think we're only weeks away. 
I guess the question is exactly how that plays out, what type of threshold event would be required, because we can point to these wobbles, these, as you call them, cracks in the market, whether in the UK, in Japan, you know, Chinese currency, all these things that seem like uh, they're putting some pressure on the system. Treasury liquidity hasn't been good for a while, uh, probably has gotten worse. So a lot of things seem like they're building in this direction of potentially putting a lot more pressure on the system. On the other hand, you look at things, these financial stress indexes that are out there, and it doesn't really seem like they're in the danger zone. Um, maybe the Fed is simply expecting that it should be able to go a little bit farther in terms of its rate uh, hiking program, get in the zone of where they're trying to get rates above 4%, and they may get lucky and inflation could ease back. I mean, what's to say that it comes to a head before that moment? Well, well, Mike, I think that, um, you know, what, what you just said is true. Um, but, uh, you know, history has shown us that uh, financial accidents tend to occur uh, during periods of Fed tightening, and they come out of uh, very dark corners of the financial markets. We saw uh, the incident in uh, the U.K. where the pension funds uh, had a, a, a derivatives crisis, essentially, around their LDI strategy. But if you go back in time, uh, go back to 1987, uh, the stock market crash occurred uh, as a result of central bank tightening. Uh, and you know nobody had expected that on Black Monday we were going to have a collapse in stocks. The same thing was true for um, Orange County. Uh, when Orange yeah. County suddenly had to declare bankruptcy, no one, nobody expected it. This was an obscure part of the, the municipal market. And then, of course, you know, uh, long-term capital. Uh, that was in 1998 when the Fed was raising rates. And uh, again, here was a hedge fund that had a, a, a huge exposure uh, that, to options and other levered uh, assets that they had to liquidate. And eventually, the central banks just had to step in, intervene, and lower rates to uh, bail out the market. So, you know, I think that we're getting close to that. Uh, you know, we're seeing stress indices like uh, Bank of America's move index on volatility. Mm -hmm. um, the VIX has been elevated, but yet has not gotten to a level that would be consistent with a capitulation, which tells me that, uh, that the bear market is well entrenched and has further to go. And, uh, you know, October uh, in particular, uh, over the last 50 years, uh, based upon S&P data, is by far the most volatile market of the month. So, uh, you know, the environment is ripe for a, a crisis. And, um, you know, if the Fed keeps, um, you know, its hawkish um, communication up, I think that, that we're quite likely uh, to end up having something break in the financial markets. Well, it's interesting because uh, you, you mentioned in your piece that the Fed has raised short-term rates by three full percentage points in seven months. I would imagine eight months ago, if we had imagined what would happen if that were to occur, the Fed to hike by 300 basis points in seven months, maybe we would have thought something would already have broken. Uh, does that tell us anything about resilience or is it just, uh, you know, we got lucky? Uh, and also the argument that f the financial system in general uh, is in a little bit better shape, more capital buffers. You have the Fed saying it learned its lesson about how much it needs to keep in the way of reserves in the system ba based on the 2018 experience. Um, so 
I guess, again, the question being, uh, why do we think that the fuse is so short at this moment? Well, look, the, the, the things the Fed is measuring are much better than the historic um, You know, obviously, banks are much better capitalized than they were prior to the, the great financial crisis. Um, the, um, uh, the, um, the banking system is in extremely strong shape, uh, but at the same time, uh, they're facing large losses on their um, bridge financings. Uh, and when you look at the shadow banking system, uh, the pressures are building. Uh, their pressures are building in uh, leveraged loans, uh, in CLOs, uh, in the mortgage market. And so, um, you know, it, it's, it's just a matter of a, a pinprick uh, that could bring about, you know, a, a Fed pause or a pivot. And let me give you just one example, Mike, and it's, it's interesting. We're on the eve of this right now. 75% of the time over the last 25 years, non-farm payrolls have come in lower than expectation uh, for the month of September, a number we're going to get tomorrow. Something like that would probably uh, um, catch investors off guard and could, uh, you know, immediately lead to a rally that uh, people who are waiting around to pick the bottom uh, have, uh, you know, are, are going to miss the rally. So the argument I make in the paper is, look, um, all the signs are here. I can't tell you exactly what will cause it, but the environment is ripe, and uh, when the Fed pivots, they're not going to pre-announce it, no one's going to ring a bell, and with everything, uh, you know, at very attractive levels like uh, corporate bonds, um, treasury bonds, uh, even equities, which I still think have another, you know, some downside left here. Um, but uh, again, nobody can pr uh, pick the bottom perfectly, and right. uh, you know, the fourth quarter historically is a seasonally very, very good quarter for equities and risk assets, and so I just think investors are still too busy licking their wounds and looking for a bottom, and it's time for them to commit some capital. So you think that they're too busy looking for a bottom, but you think that in advance of a potential accident, it makes sense to start being positioned for the eventual capitulation of the Fed that will get us out of it? Exactly. And uh, look, you don't have to wait in and you don't need to, uh, uh, you know, reposition everything in a day, but it's certainly time to start waiting in. And, um, you know, all of these sectors uh, look very attractive. You know, I, I've been, uh, I, I made a comment on TV a couple of weeks ago, for instance, that um, uh, there's a generational opportunity here to buy uh, cheap, uh, below investment grade bonds, which will mature in the next few years, where the, you know, these companies are over levered and one of two things will happen. Uh, they're going to refinance their debt and, and the bonds you're buying at 70 to 50 to 70 cents on the dollar are going to get paid off. Uh, or uh, you're going to have the, you're going to have the keys to a profitable company, and the company I've mentioned is Carvana in the past. That's one example. Mm -hmm. um, that's a place where um, you know that that's a very interesting opportunity, and investors could step in and take advantage of that. Uh, or you know 
if you're not you know sophisticated enough to do that, look at uh, ETFs like LQD or HYG, uh, which are you know making new lows every day, and uh, you know we're down below uh, prices that we saw in the pandemic. Uh, at some point, this thing's going to reverse course. And uh, you know, if you if you buy it now and you're down another five percent, and then you know you get a thirty or forty percent rally from there, you know you're not going to care about that five percent. If you want to, you know, be a little more cautious, then start average again. But uh, you know, don't wait till the last minute because I think you'll miss the opportunity. I mean, if enough people do that kind of thing and feel as if, you know, we're, we're kind of close to whatever bridge over the gulf that we, we need to cross, um, we're probably never going to have that moment of truth. And the Fed's going to say, I guess we have the ammo to, to keep going and keep hiking and keep speaking in a hawkish way. Well, I think you're right until something happens which uh, is destabilizing to uh, the financial system. And we already got there uh, in the U.K. Uh, in the gilt market, and yeah. the central bank had to intervene. But what's interesting is whether you look at uh, that situation, you look at the situation uh, in Japan, uh, you look at the situation in uh, China, um, the fundamental problems have not been addressed. And uh, until they uh, you know, address the fundamental problems, we're going to have more and more of this stress. But let's mm-hmm. face it, we've come down a long way. And you know, when I look at the charts, you know, I see uh, uh, fairly good support for the S&P uh, in the 3350 to 3450 area. Um, yeah. you know, this is all consistent with the statement I made on Scott's show you know, back in the second week of September that I would expect to see about a 20% decline from there in equity prices. Yeah. You know, we're not there yet. We have some, some more work to do. But, right. you know, on the, the, the dip, which I think is coming in the next couple of weeks, it's the opportunity to be a buyer. Yeah, I mean, obviously, those, those instances you mentioned from the past, right, Orange County, um, long-term capital, uh, a lot of those things really didn't come along with tremendous equity downside beyond what we've already seen in the market right now. So uh, it would fit in with those types of scenarios. Are there, I mean, you're in the bond market every day. Are there specific pockets where you're seeing liquidity really seize up, where you're really seeing dislocated prices and things like that at this point, or are you just anticipating that? No, no, you're, we're definitely seeing it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's very difficult to sell uh, any block sizes in corporate bonds or high yield bonds. Uh, even Treasuries um, are trading in smaller lot sizes than they normally would. Um, and then there, are, you know, are areas of complete dysfunction. Um, you know, uh, if, for instance, I, I think emerging markets, the liquidity is, uh, um, you know, exceptional. Tight. And right now, uh, if you're a high-yield bond borrower and you want to come to the market, uh, 99% of the borrowers cannot access the market uh, yeah. because they, the market can't digest a new issue high-yield bond. So uh, we're seeing it, and um, you know, I think you make a very good point, which is um, the downside. Um, you know, when when Orange County happened. Uh, when long-term capital happened, you know that was definitely a buy, you know, buy the news event, um, and uh, you know the downside that occurs after the announcement somewhat limited. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, investors, um, you know, should probably spend be less concerned about timing the market and more concerned about looking at valuations. Yeah. Well, Scott, uh, really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and walking us through your thoughts uh, for today. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. All right. Well, joining me now with some instant reaction to that interview and what's happening in the market. Try very. It's Adam Parker uh, on set. Adam, good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Um, now, I mean, the general set of issues Scott's talking about, that's been hovering over the markets for a while. Is Fed going to go too far? Is something going to basically, we're going to have an accident along the way um, or not? And what's priced in? Yeah, I mean, look, everyone has a different amount of capital they're deploying, different time horizon. So, I mean, I think a lot of your viewers are probably a little bit shorter term with a little less capital than Scott, right? And that's saying it mildly, meaning I don't think most people want to buy the equity market before the imminent fixed income disaster that he's forecasting. That feels wrong to me. Um, but I know what he means. He's probably not been involved in equities and been right and trying to figure out when to make a multi-year investment. So I think there's always a sure. you know, kind of a mismatch of you know assets and timing. My own personal view is that um, uh, it's really hard to know what the Fed's going to do. We know, and I say this all the time on this program, these guys were buying billions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities when housing was amazing in every MSA. So they could continue to be hawkish and they've kind of on that path. And I, I feel like we'll know next Thursday with the CPI, another data point, it's going to be high. Yeah. Right? I know it's going to be high. So I don't know if the data short term, I know we mentioned the jobs report, I don't know if we're going to get enough dovish data in the near term. I thought his point on November was kind of interesting. That's clearly out of consensus if they yeah. get dovish by then. So I'm more focused on earnings and I think earnings are going to be bad. Mm-hmm. I think guidance is going to be bad and I think the key performance indicator we're focusing on at Trivariate is inventory. Because I know a week or two ago when um, we were on together, you saw Nike, you saw Micron, you started to see some weaker inventory numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main thing I'm focused on in the next week or two as earnings you know, start unfolding. And of course, the, again, the big question is, um, has the market got part, part of the way there, right? In terms of fi- figuring out that things uh, are not going to be, live up to uh, expectations. You know, I think part of the way, yeah. and I think maybe that part of what Scott said, I, I agree with, like we're down, but we probably could get down more. Uh, we think earnings estimates are 15% too high for next year. Yeah. That's, uh, I think, an interesting debate that I've been warming up to the last two, three weeks is, are we sure 2024 earnings are going to be above 2023? Yeah. Or could it just be, we have a very high nominal GDP now, it's starting to come down, and maybe it's just going to be a very slow bathtub shape sort of thing, and not the V-shape that's currently in most institutional investors I talk to, they're underwriting 2024 numbers being above 2023. Right. And they need that to get the valuations to look, you know, uh, once in a lifetime attractive at sure. a minimum. Right. So I think that's an interesting debate. Let's see how. Right. If the Fed gets slow. inflation, let's say it's down to 2 3%, nominal growth is not yeah. great. Right. Yeah. I don't think there's any way mathematically they get to 2 to 3% anytime yeah. soon. They need a right. colossal recession to get there. So I think what they should do is just say, look, we ran below two for a decade, right. made you believe deflation wasn't a problem. We're going to run above two for a decade, make you think hyperinflation is not a problem, and maybe equities, they can kind of massage the language. Yeah. I think another important point is the reason people want to own equities when the Fed gets dovish is they think the price to earnings ratio is going to expand, right? That's what they're saying. Sure. 
But remember, the price of the market is the price to earnings times the earnings, right? You know, right. you cross out the E in the numerator, cross out the E in the denominator, get the price, right? So the, the problem is as they get dovish, it's probably because their earnings are coming down. And so I have a little yeah. bit less confidence that that cocktail is so, uh, you know, enticing at this right. point. Well, it's still early in the earnings down in the downward earnings revision. Well, and history does say that the the first cut is actually not one to buy if you've been in a recession. So we'll have to see yeah, how that goes. Adam, right. uh, sit tight for for a minute. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We want to know what you think about Scott Minard's big call. Will the Fed be forced to stop tightening by the end of the World Series next month? Head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter to vote. We'll share the results later in the hour. And we're just getting started here in overtime. Up next, our all-star panel standing by to break down today's market pullback, plus how they're positioned heading into tomorrow's jobs report. We are live from the New York Stock Exchange. Overtime, we'll be right back. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back. Want to get you some headlines on AMD, the company pre-announcing lower revenues for the third quarter. It now sees $5.6 billion in third quarter revenue. The previous guidance was $6.7 billion, plus or minus $200 million. The company citing uh, weaker client segment revenues uh, from that uh, uh, lower prof processor shipments due to weaker than expected PC market. It's an issue we've known for a while, but clearly the magnitude not necessarily understood. Uh, AMD shares uh, as a reflex falling five and a half percent right now. Let's bring in uh, CNBC contributor Stephanie Link, uh, Hightower's chief investment strategist, as well as Keith Lerner, Truist's co-chief investment officer, and Trivariates Adam Parker. Still with us. Uh, just quickly, Adam, on, on AMD, I mean, yeah, you haven't looked through the numbers, but directionally, what's your take? Again, kind of, we teed it up like these companies yeah. are starting to overproduce consumption. Uh, not really different from Micron, where we saw you know, their earnings report. Um, I, I can't look at my phone, but I feel like tw this is an every even year thing. I know 2002, <laughs> 4, 6, 8, 10, and 12, right. they all pre neg either Q2 or Q3 at AMD. So, you know, probably just uh, have to reduce the outlook for the fourth quarter, and they know it. For sure. Yeah. Um, Steph, uh, you know, I guess thoughts on, uh, on AMD, but also in the context of how you're positioned or how the market is positioned ahead of the start of earnings. Yeah, well, I don't think AMD is a surprise at all. As Adam mentioned, mm -hmm. we had Micron, we've also had NVIDIA. We've heard across the spectrum that PCs and gaming has been weaker than expected. I'm a little surprised at the reaction because this stock is down 53% year to date, reflecting a lot of bad news. But that being said, we're seeing double ordering and triple ordering coming home to roost throughout the semiconductor space. We've been talking about it. I've been talking about it since March. I only own one semiconductor. That's Broadcom. I think they're better positioned with their end markets. It's cheap and offers a nice yield. Um, but I am underweight tech. 
Uh, I am underweight semis in general. Um, and I, I don't think, I, well, I plan on staying that way into the end of the year. I'm more focused on kind of the, the commodity sectors. I like energy. I just added to Occidental just yesterday. I think that market stays very tight for a lot longer. I like materials, industrials. And what's interesting, Mike, is that value actually has outperformed growth. And those are value sectors along with financials. By about, uh, values outperformed growth by about 12% year to date. Um, and I think that is going to continue. So that's another reason why I'm not uh, uh, overweight or we have a market weight on tech. In terms of the market, yeah. it felt good on Monday and Tuesday and even yesterday's rally because people thought that the Fed was going to pivot. This is exactly what happened in June. The Fed is not going to pivot. And if you listen to Neil Kashkari today, quite hawkish, and he's a voting member starting next year. So it matters. So I think the Fed is going to stay very hawkish. They're going to continue to raise unless something breaks, like Maynard said. Um, but I think it's going to take a while to see something break if it does it at all. Mm -hmm. Core PCE is much too high. Wages and salaries much too high. Rents and, and, and as I mentioned, commodities have actually uh, stabilized as well. So I think you just want to be right. prudent, diversified, own high quality companies, free cash flow, uh, but more leaning on value versus growth. Yeah, and uh, to your point on, on AMD, the, the stock has actually kind of firmed up just a bit, uh, down about 2.5%, no longer down more than 5 um, Keith, in terms of general market uh, field position here, uh, we can kind of examine, I would say, the last six or eight days of, uh, of trading as that, that really aggressive plunge to this real oversold level, new low for the year, intraday uh, at least, and then very strong rally that some folks are saying, again, uh, in the short term might earn back the benefit of the doubt for, uh, for the bulls. What do you think? Well, first, Mike, uh, great to be with you. Uh, you know, we, we were with you back in August around the highs, around 42 to 4,300, and we've said, hey, this is a good time to take some exposure off. But last week during that plunge, uh, you know, at least on a short-term basis, our view was that uh, things had become too extended on the downside, sentiment too negative, especially how we closed to end the quarter. And uh, we were saying this is not time to press the downside and we're more positive on a short-term perspective. And coming into this week, even after that rally, I still think the upside, um, you know, is, is, we'll likely see more upside before this rally is over. Um, as you know, and you follow this stuff too, Mike, I mean, you know, we're still very stretched on um, most of the technical indicators. There's still a lot of doubt out there. And, um, you know, position is light as we head into this fourth quarter. So I think there's more upside. Our point of view is, you know, that for the next six to 12 months, we still have more of a cautious view. But we would use a, a further bounce that we expect to reposition, if you haven't done so already, to become more defensive. We think that 4,000 to 4,100 level is going to be a pretty um, hard level to get through. And again, this is a more tactical market, Mike. Uh, you know, we're just seeing, you know, June with the lows, we, we had a big 17% rally, a big 17% decline. And now we think we have a little bit more of the short-term rally to go. Yeah, I mean, Adam, what were you going to say? No, I'm just looking at you. You scribbled out some AMD numbers, yeah. and I'm trying to do the math in my head. But, you know, to me, they just probably cut their earnings by 30% for next year, right? Yeah. So, and the question is, you don't know if that's the first of the negative revisions or there's going to be another one if they overproduce for a quarter or two. Right. So I like Stephanie's point. Like, it's down 50. So clearly the market was anticipatory. We know that. Maybe it was anticipatory of something down 20, 30. But right. if, the, if we get another one like this, you know, all these things that, that, that have perishable inventory are going to go lower. So, I, again, I think inventory is the number one thing I'm focused on, you know, through this pre-neg week this week and then yeah. through earnings. Well, we do want to get some more numbers here. Levi earnings are out. Court Reagan has those numbers. Hey, Court. 
Hi there, Scott. Yeah, so it does look like it is a slight beat here on Levi's for the bottom line with 40 cents adjusted. The street here was looking for about 37 cents. Revenues, though, coming in at late, light at $1.52 billion. The street was looking for $1.598 billion. And currency does look to be the big drag here. The company also taking down full-year guidance. They're now looking for a full-year earnings range of 144 to 149 The street had it at 154 adjusted. If you look at the revenue, it did grow 1% year over year, all things included. And then if you strip out currency, the effect of that strong dollar revenue would have been up 7%. There was a 4 cent negative drag on EPS as well from the currency. Europe was down 19%, but X currency would have been down just 9%. Asia up 36% in revenues, but X currency would have been up 53%. So significant drag here. Gross margin also coming in a little light at 56.9%. The street was looking for 57.3%. It does look like that direct-to-consumer business was slightly stronger, up 2% year-over-year compared to the wholesale business. Those revenues up 1% year-over-year. Shares of Levi's are lower here in the after hours by about 3%. Mike, back over to you. All right, Courtney, thank you very much. Uh, You know, Steph, at first blush, here's another decent test of uh, just exactly what the market had already been prepared for in the sense that it has been a weak stock, right? It's down 40 plus percent off the highs. Looks pretty cheap if you believe the earnings and it still came in a little bit soft and the market backs off a bit. Not a a real big surprise, though, because we got negative data points on denim throughout the quarter from Kohl's, from Chico's, from American Eagle. There has been a shift from non-dressy denim to more polished, the more polished look. And the inventories are for more non-dressy versus polished look. So there's a a mixed shift happening. The the summer was warmer than expected. We we heard about promotions throughout the quarter. We knew about currency. We just didn't know how bad it was going to be. Um, I actually think Levi's is they're positioned better than the, uh, the than their competition. Because sixty five percent of their business is men's, and they are still staying non dressy traditional. Um, and so, at ten times earnings with a three percent yield, already down thirty six percent. Great management team, by the way, too. I, I kind of like it here. Yeah, um, yeah. No, no polish uh, on on most men. I'm uh, I'm willing to concede that. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm an expert at unpolished. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. um, Keith, I want to drill into a little bit of this idea that for the next six to 12 months, playing defense seems like it's going to continue to make sense. What goes into that uh, assessment in terms of where the Fed's going to be, uh, whether, in fact, we're going to be dealing with uh, a recession either already or soon uh, and, and where monetary policy is? Yeah, well, the first thing is, I mean, it's we've had these supersized rate hikes that, in our view, isn't fully factored into the economy yet, because the economy is actually holding up somewhat better than I think a lot of people expected. But we think the probabilities of recession move much higher as we move into 2023. And it's not, it's not just the Fed. We have the most aggressive global monetary tightening policy we've seen in about 40 years. And a lot of discussion about a Fed pivot. Well, if, if the Fed pivots, um, that's fine. That's going to probably energize a short-term rally. We would be selling into that because, as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, the Fed pivoted in 2007, and, 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 and you can go back to 2000 uh, as well. And that didn't yeah. prevent the bear market to happen. And we think the economic data, if you just keep it simple, will likely be lower or weaker six months from now. And then going back to some of the earnings numbers we're talking about, you know, the earnings estimates going forward, there's, at best, you'll be a flat. We think there's downside. So you kind of apply a multiple to that macro backdrop and say the upside is somewhat, um, you know, limited, even if you, you know, don't go into recession. So 
from our perspective, the risk reward is just not compelling at, at these levels. If we had a beep or pullback, you know, maybe that would change. But at this point, we don't think it's compelling. Yeah, um, arguably, yeah, we'd be, you know, on balance, relatively lucky if we did bottom at the current valuations and with a 25% drop. We'll have to see how that goes, guys. Uh, thanks, everybody. Adam, Steph, Keith, great to talk to you all. Good Time now you. for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hi, Shep. Hi, Mike. Joining Team Shiny Jeans, here's what's happening. President Biden announcing an executive order to pardon every American convicted on federal charges of simple possession of marijuana. The White House says it's about 6,500 people, and the president says he wants governors to take similar action. Mr. Biden also asking federal authorities to review how marijuana is classified as a drug. Strangely, it has the cl same classification as heroin and LSD. Closing arguments today in the latest defamation trial against Alex Jones. He's already been found guilty. The jury will decide how much in damages Jones must pay to the families and an FBI agent who sued him for repeatedly claiming that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax. Alex Jones says he's boycotting the trial. And the January 6th committee is confirming to NBC News now it will hold its next and likely last public hearing one week from today, 1 p.m. Eastern time. The panel postponed last week's scheduled hearing because of Hurricane Ian. Tonight, tensions mount over North Korea's continuing missile tests. Another bombshell drops in the Herschel Walker Senate campaign drama and matchmaking with a new dating app for conservatives on the news. Right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Matt or Shiny, Mike, where are you? <laughs> uh, Matt, uh, usually Matt. Yeah, right. I, I like not to draw too much. I feel you. <laughs> Appreciate it, Shep. Uh, up next, doubling down on the bear case, PIMCO's Erin Brown cautioning against buying the bounce. Plus, the one sector where she's sounding the alarm. She makes her case after the break. Overtime will be right back. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. The major averages finishing lower on the day, but still on pace for their first positive week in the past three. And the recent bounce has brought out the bulls. Take a listen to some of the commentary on overtime just this week. So the market is going to smell inflation is done, Fed is done, and the first reaction is going to be market rallies. I don't think you have to worry about a recession until the second half of 23. So there is room for a rally as you go into the early part of uh, next year. A weak dollar could help risk assets come back, uh, you know, the rest of this year and maybe even further into next year. Well, our next guest says don't buy this bounce. She's sounding the alarm that the market is still too optimistic about a soft landing. Joining us now is Erin Brown, portfolio uh, manager uh, at, uh, at PIMCO. Erin, uh, good to see you. And uh, it's great to have you here, especially on a day when it really does seem like there's a lot of offsetting currents you can observe in the markets right now in terms of Fed expectations, decent economic numbers, the market uh, a little wobbly. Why do you think it's not the case that, look, we've had the median decline that you usually get in the S&P for a mild recession, um, and it's not start to, uh, time to start expecting things to improve a bit? So I think the market broadly is expecting that we're going to have a weak GDP over the next year. But what's interesting is when you look at earnings estimates, they still haven't derated. We've certainly seen the P.E. multiples come down back to sort of normalized levels of what you would expect going into a recession. But the earnings haven't changed at all. Like in fact, the S&P 500 is still 
consensus is still looking for about up seven and a half, eight percent next year. Our forward-looking models are calling for it to be about down nine percent next year, and the, the there's risk to the downside from there. And so there's this real dichotomy between what the economists are saying and what or, you know bottoms-up consensus analysts are saying, and I think there's where the problem lies. The other problem is that margin expectations are still looking for margin expansion, which is you know absolutely crazy next year. So I still think that there's room for downside from here. Our target is I'd probably start to nibble or at least stop selling at 3,400 and, and probably start to nibble at around 3,250, but that's you know 10 to 15 percent downside from current levels. Sure. Um- and you think industrials in particular or, or that part of the market and the economy uh, are vulnerable here particularly? That's one of the places that I think is most vulnerable. You saw a lot of pain from the consumer discretionary names in the first and the second quarter. But you're just now starting to see CapEx expansion plans be you know, pulled back. You're starting to see sh- factories be shut down because they have to be idle because gas and energy costs are too expensive. I think that's where you're going to start to see the pain. But we're just at the starting point of that now. You'll see a little bit of it into the end of this year. But I think the fourth quarter earnings, which are going to come out in you know January yeah. of next year, that's where you're going to see a little bit of kitchen sinking. But you should start to set up your positions now to prepare for that event. Prepare for the recognition that things are not good or prepare to, for the rebound? No, prepare for the recognitions yeah. that so things are So essentially aren't good. get defensive here. Right. And get defensive here. You're starting to see it, absolutely. Yeah. And and you started to see some some of the names you know start to cut back. You you saw it most recently um, with US Steel. You've seen it, you know, again with um, you know, some of the auto names as well. But yeah. there's a lot more pain to be felt. And when you look at the shippers and you look at the transports, What you're seeing in terms of contract negotiations, that's a very big tell. Yeah, interesting. Um, So, uh, yeah, margin expectations probably need a reality check in that case. Aaron, got to run. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming by. Uh, Coming up, key levels to watch. Top technician Jonathan Krinsky is charting the market where he sees stocks headed from here. Plus, another check on shares of AMD falling after cutting revenue guidance. Top chip analyst Stacey Raskon joins us next. We are back in overtime. Another check on shares of AMD. They are lower now by about 3.8% after the company cut third quarter revenue guidance. Chipmaker now sees revenues coming in at $5.6 billion. That is down from the $6.7 billion previously expected. Joining us now is Bernstein chip analyst Stacy Raskon. Stacy, how much of this is, uh, is really out of the blue, a shock, or how much of it is what the market's uh, been handicapping? Well, it, it's all PCs. Um they're, they're, they're missing PCs by a billion dollars. Like PCs are coming in, the client business is coming in 50% lower than their guides. Everything else kind of looks like it's holding in okay. Um, data center looks all right. Gaming looks all right. Embedded looks all right. It's almost all PCs here. Everybody knows PCs are very weak um, and they've been getting weaker. And so I think that has been a, a question. We, we've seen this from other folks. We've seen Intel who took numbers down last quarter and has already been talking them down again this quarter. Intel's coming in low. We saw NVIDIA, like in, in some other things, be, be weak. Anybody exposed to that market's weak. So we knew it was going to be bad. With The question was just how bad. Um, I would argue that this is probably worse for AMD than most people were thinking it could be. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if everything else, which is everything else is why you're owning the stock anyways, if that's holding in okay, and now we've got this kind of clearing event where they're literally cutting the client business in half sequentially 
Um, that might help to put a bottom in, in on things. Um, but that's where we right. are right now. Certainly, I do think that this was a bigger cut, though, than I think people were expecting. Yeah, and, and to your point, I mean, it's clearly not the main driver of the valuation of AMD, even if it's a big uh, revenue number. Um, previously, you know, I, I recall speaking with you, whether it's about NVIDIA or one of these other names, where the street just looks for that moment where it seems like the new projected earnings level seems realistic and you can build from there. H have we reached that point yet? Uh, well, we'll see where, where things come in. They, they did not guide. By the way, they've been giving a, a full year guidance before, so you get back into Q4. They did not update that guidance. So we don't actually know what Q4 looks like. I would hazard a guess that things are still in flux, especially in that PC market. So they're probably still trying to figure out where things are going. And then we'll see where numbers end up next year. But I mean, you can make some pretty like dire assumptions for where things are going to go. And you can get to an earnings number probably for AMD where the multiple would still be pretty attractive, even on, on where it's tra trading right now, like in the mid 60s. I mean, the street right now, I think, for next year is like high fours, maybe up to $5. Like, even if that number turned out to be four, even if it turned out to be three fifty, um, on a trough kind of level for earnings, like, it, it's not a bad thing, especially if you can now hopefully make the bet that the bottom is is, is in. And by the way, there's lots of names across the street that, that trade like this where we've all been waiting to see the bottom get put in. Um, yeah. Usually when it happens, they, they tend to work. Go look at Micron or something like that, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, Stacy, appreciate you jumping on. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you bet. Anytime. All right. Up next, another down day on Wall Street, but the action isn't over. We're tracking the biggest movers in overtime. Seema Modi standing by with what's moving. Hey, Seema. Mike, a significant move in cannabis stocks after a big announcement from President Biden. We will unveil the key movers and also talk about what it means for the industry. We're back in two. We're tracking the biggest movers in overtime. Seema Modi has them. What do you have, Seema? Seema. Hey, my cannabis stocks uh, moving in overtime after President Biden said he would pardon federal offenders for simple pot possession. Biden will also review marijuana status as a Schedule One controlled substance. Tilray is higher in the OT. Uh, Kronos and Aurora, though, are both lower at this point. Aurora down about 1.5%. Dow Jones reporting that the conglomerate Griffin Multinational is reviewing a range of strategic alternatives to maximize shareholder value, including a potential sale. The company said it will have an update on the process by the end of November. And you can see the stock is up over 3% here in the OT. Michael, send it back to you. All right, Seaman, thanks very much. Up next, the key market levels every investor needs to watch. Top technician Jonathan Krinsky is breaking down his forecast for stocks. Overtime, we'll be right back. Let's get the results of our Twitter question. We asked, will the Fed pivot by the end of the World Series? Well, 74% of you said no, which matches basically what all Fed officials have been telling us. By the way, that would be sometime in November. The major averages all finishing the day lower, giving back more uh, of the gains from that sharp two-day rally to start the week. And the technicals are signaling some more potential downside from these levels. Joining us now is Jonathan Krinsky, Chief Market Technician at BTIG. Uh, Jonathan, great to have you here. I mean, you, you let's dial it back a little bit. You did expect the S&P would break uh, those prior June lows, they did that. We got this snapback rally. What's your read on uh, the sustainability or, or the vulnerability uh, of this rally? Yeah, so I think, you know, first, if we're just looking purely at the S&P 500 in a vacuum, we tagged the 200-week moving average to the penny, essentially, on Friday. That was around 3590 
there's a lot of analogies brought up to the market bottom in 2018, December of 2018, because we did the same thing. Uh, a key difference, though, by our work was back in December of 2018, you had a VIX curve that was 12 points inverted, meaning spot VIX was 12 points higher than the second month future. And that typically, once you get over 10 points, that puts you in the ballpark of sustainable market bottoms. But the low on Friday, we only saw about a two-point inversion. So we just haven't seen enough um, of, of that metric for us to to want to call a durable bottom. Um, and then when you look at the macro cross currents, you know, the key drivers of equities all year continue to be interest rates and the dollar. Um, and we just don't see enough evidence that those have peaked. I think there was a lot of um, optimism that rates and the dollar put in a top um, earlier this week. But then you see, you know, what happens the last couple of days, the 10-year back above 380, dollar index back above 112. Um, inflation break-evens have been up the last four days. So, you know, I think it's just premature to say that the macro headwinds have uh, become tailwinds for equities yet. Right. Yeah. No, there's, there's certainly been not an all clear on that front. Um, what do you say to those who are kind of looking at some of the uh, the mechanics of the two-day rally and saying it was unusually strong breath. We finally got some uh, a real dominant move to the upside in the very short term. Now, of course, there was a lot of that talk also in June, but it was followed by, what, a 17% rally over uh, over a couple of months. So uh, does any of that hold up? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was uh, a plethora of data uh, analysis going on uh, over the last couple of days. I think what's notable about these big, you know, breath moves and big moves off the lows, you tend to see them right at, at the beginning of new bull markets, but you also see them in the middle of bear markets. That's what makes that's what makes things so difficult um, to try to identify. And that's why we go back to some of those other metrics. Um, you know, look, I, I think the back to back 90 percent up volume day upside volume days we had Monday and Tuesday, all else mm -hmm. equal. That is more of a bullish sign than not. Um, we looked, I think, 20 August 2011 was kind of the one notable failure in the last um, 15 years or so where you had that in, in late August 2011, and then you went on to make new lows about 12% lower. So there have been failures of that. Um, I think, again, one other key you know, big picture metric we, we just highlight, um, the monthly RSI in the S&P 500 only got down about 43 as of Friday. In the entire mm -hmm. history of the, of the S and P back to 1929, we've never bottomed uh, after a 20% drawdown or more, unless you've got that monthly RSI below 42. So again, you could argue we're close enough, but you know history yeah. says there's enough things that that say we're not quite there yet. Yeah, it's uh, it's really tough. This uh, the the judgment calls uh, kind of pile on top of each other when you're trying to figure this stuff out. Uh, thanks for walking us through some of it, Jonathan. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we have a news alert on Twitter. Another one, Kate Rooney has the details. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Mike. Yeah, the latest in the Twitter Elon Musk saga here. Elon Musk had asked for a stay in this case. Twitter responding in a letter saying that they are not on the same page. They don't think the judge should issue a stay. I'll read you the, the statement here from Twitter. Twitter opposes the defendant's motion. The obstacle to terminating this litigation is not, as the defendants say, that Twitter is unwilling to take yes for an answer. The obstacle is that the defendants still refuse to accept their contractual obligations for months. It says here defendants have pursued increasingly implausible claims. So some pushback here uh, from Twitter and building on David Faber's reporting earlier that uh, the company had or that Elon Musk had been looking for a stay. But Twitter here responding and the latest statement from the company in this deal saga. Back to you. 
So we're seeing the, the stock kind of hover. It firmed up a little bit uh, just to try to pull it apart a little bit. So Twitter, the plaintiff, essentially saying uh, that, you know, Musk seems to want a way out of his, his, his obligations by trying to agree to effectively the same terms. I mean, it seems to be about, what, financing commitments and things uh, that would otherwise come along with him going through with the original terms? That's right here. And there also is some some other details in here, Mike, that uh, they are, talk about the threat of further mischief and delay and the idea that Musk's motion to delay the trial is just a tactic in trying to sort of kick the can down the road. Uh, but it does seem to be, I mean, the shares are moving around a little bit here, but the latest in sort of <laughs> this chess game that these two companies are playing uh, that's still still really unfolding here but it says yeah twitter will not take yes for an answer astonishingly they have insisted on proceedings with this litigation recklessly putting the deal at risk and gambling with their stockholders interests so a lot to dig yeah. in here mike we'll bring you the latest uh, as you get more yep there will be more uh, kate we're sure <laughs> of that <laughs> all right thanks a lot for uh, for breaking it down uh, for us at this stage kate rooney uh, take a look at uh, how the market did close today. The underperformer was uh, the Dow. The actual uh, the Nasdaq held up better. It was better breath. Uh, so it's the locus of the, the weakness was in some of the, the cyclical stocks today. Also, the defensive stocks, utilities, one of the weakest groups, uh, definitely giving way. Talked earlier a little bit about the real estate sector as well. Small caps, not as bad, uh, down about half a percent as we wait for that jobs number tomorrow. Expected to be a decent one. The market seems to want a softer print. That does it for Overtime Fast Money. Begins right now. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.